Season 2 of Cyber 24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35-plus years means they have the experience and expertise to help your business from desktop to data center. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. To learn more about Valcom's end-to-end -end solutions, the technology vendors they partner with, and to sign up for upcoming events, visit their website at vlcmtech.com. That's vlcmtech.com. Cyber 24 is supported by the Utah Department of Public Safety, as well as the Utah Department of Technology Services and the Utah Attorney General's Office. In addition, the University of Utah's Chem C. Gardner Policy Institute is where we record this podcast each week. At the Chem C. Gardner Policy Institute, they're dedicated to helping Utah make informed decisions. We're also proud to have the support of Secuvant, a Utah-based company providing business-enabled cyber risk and management. Every week on this program, these great partners will provide expertise and insight to help business and civic leaders better understand the challenge of cybersecurity and how to keep your organization safe. We appreciate your support. All right, welcome to Cyber 24, presented as always by our friends at Valcom. My name is Marty Carpenter, and we're glad to have you joining us again today, whatever today is for you, I guess. Uh, that's the beauty of a podcast, I suppose. You listen when you're ready, and we're here at your convenience. Today's show, it can be amazing to think back to that quaint time when the internet didn't touch or dominate every part of your daily life. Just 10 years ago, for example, I can recall setting up the very first Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube accounts at the place where I worked. And that's after I, just a short time before that, set them up for myself. It's been a rapid decade of innovation and changes to our daily routines and the way we interact with one another. It's also forced to the forefront some interesting issues, discussions about privacy, collection of personal data, and the responsibility of government and private businesses when they collect that data. Now, Europe has jumped out ahead of the United States in the way it protects personal data. They've adopted a policy known by most simply as the GDPR, which stands for the General Data Protection Regulation. Well, we can get into the details of that a bit, and I'm sure we will in our discussion today. But you've probably heard about it as it has resulted in billions of dollars, eye-opening amounts of fines for big Internet companies. Google, $5 billion fine from the European Union. Facebook looking down the barrel at a $1.63 billion fine. Even for companies that large, that starts to be real money. So similar legislation is now popping up at the state level across the U.S. and even at the federal level. Oregon Senator Ron Wyden uh, recently released an initial version, and we're going to emphasize that, an initial version of what he's calling the Consumer Data Protection Act of 2018 discussion, a starting point for this uh, policy discussion, I suppose. This is draft, draft legislation, and as anything on the federal level, there is a long road ahead, but some think it will find some support in both the House and Senate, and we're likely to see some type of consumer protection become law in the next 12 months. 
So let's get some insight on that from someone who actually knows what the heck he's talking about. Dan Schuyler is a cybersecurity systems architect at Valcom. Uh, he's with us a few weeks ago. Welcome back to the show. Marty, thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure and fun to be on your show. So this is uh, an interesting topic and one that you actually flagged for us and said this is something we need to talk about. So this is great to have you here to kind of dive into it a little bit. Um, I, I guess um, anytime we're talking about the politics involved with regulation, um, I would start with this question. Uh, are you at all surprised to see elected officials in the United States taking a look at personal data, um, personal data protection, control of personal data, or are you more surprised that it took this long for them to do it? A little bit of a little bit of both, but I am surprised that it did take this long. You sort of set the the uh, foundation for how long we've been using the internet and how long we've been sharing data. And you uh, you made the observation of the GDPR, which took several years, many years, to uh, draft and finally become uh, a regulation for the European Union. So I'm glad to see we're finally. Uh, moving down the road of some type of legislation. Um, but yes, it, it, it is a little bit surprising that it took this long. Yeah, it's been, uh, the internet, I think, in the U.S. has re remained somewhat the Wild West for a long time. Um, and there's the ongoing jokes of like, everyone just accepts the terms and conditions and just kind of moves on because the internet is this big flashy thing and we just want to get access to it with, with sort of, se at best, secondary thought about where's all this data going. And people in the U.S., I think, have become generally... Um, very comfortable with just, hey, that's that's the deal. I get free email service from Google, but I know that they're going to scan those and f find out if I if they can advertise to me in some way. Uh, and we've sort of accepted that as a trade-off. Do you feel sentiment is changing um, across the country or even here locally with people becoming a little more apprehensive about that? Yes, definitely, especially with the way some companies are using that data. Um, you know, Facebook several months ago uh, got in trouble with the way they were data mining, and there have been breaches of data. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about the Equifax breach, and so I think there's a lot of sent consumer sentiment to have some type of legislation that provides some type of protection of their data and their privacy. Yeah. I want to uh, jump in first to this, uh, this bit of draft legislation from Senator Wyden, the Consumer Data Protection Act of 2018 discussion. I always love when they name bills, right? Because it sets right off the right off the bat. It's setting it up as here's how I want this discussion to be framed. Here's what I think should happen. Uh, and, but you can almost get some kind of clue as to how much um, negotiation will actually go into this. And this is one where I think we should expect to see input from both sides. And uh, I think there are reasons to think that something can get done. So first the legislation at hand as it stands right now and understanding there's a long process. This hasn't gone before committees. It's, it's being circulated. Um, there's, there's a significant process and many hurdles for this legislation before it would become law. Um, but what's in it right now? What, there've been some things that have jumped out in headlines, but what jumps out to you that, that are the most uh, sort of critical parts of this legislation or most eye-opening for you? Well, so there's, a lot to the draft legislation, but in a nutshell, the summary uh, provides us some guidance on what we are likely to see in the final legislation when, whenever we see a final, a final bill that will go to vote. Um, this, this draft legislation has established a minimum privacy uh, and cybersecurity standards. It issues steep fines up to 4% of annual revenue. And this is, this is the one that I, I think we need to talk about, a 10 to 20-year criminal penalties 
uh, for senior executives. It creates a uh, do not track system that lets consumers stop third-party companies from tracking them on the web and sharing their data. It gives consumers a way to review what personal information a company has about them. Uh, it hires more staff for the FTC to actually police and enforce the legislation, and it requires companies to assess the algorithms and processes consumers um, that they use to uh, analyze consumer data. Um, so those are really the, the highlights from the, the legislation. Uh, I know we, 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 we were going to talk about this, but a I think a lot of this will survive, but there are some of these um, there's some of these initiatives in the legislation, like the 10 to 20 year criminal penalty, that I think are going to be tough—a tough sell uh, to to get into final legislation. Yeah, I, th I think it's worth. Maybe this is where my expertise comes into play a little bit more. That uh, you know, there, there's a communication process to these things, and so if Senator Wyden just introduces a piece of legislation, it gets not much discussion. That's done regularly. This one is one where there's there's going to be a lot of discussion on it and one way to force that to happen, one way to put this at the forefront of a of a conversation, sort of elbow its way to the to the front of the crowd is to say let's put something in it that's really eye-opening. Now, I, I have no idea what the senator's actual position is on uh, criminal penalties for senior executives at tech companies and how they would even define that and how what thresholds would have to be in place for that to even be possible to say, uh, you know, how do you prove that there was real intent or that there was um, just a, a lack of control or something that got you to that point. But part of this is I, I'm going to catch some headlines and say, I'm so serious about this, I'm even going to put these guys in jail if they're not serious about it. And, and that gets people's attention, and then from there we can have discussions about that. I, I personally would also be very surprised if that ended up in a bill. I'm not, ex I'm not even sure how one goes about enforcing that and proving that someone had that. Do you get sort of the same feel on that? Absolutely. This is definitely an attention grabber, for sure. Uh, a lot of uh, senior executives and CEOs, their eyebrows are probably raised when they saw this, and I'm sure... The, the lobbying engine has kicked in kicked into high gear with yeah. regards to this one provision sure. in the the summary of the draft and so this is going to go through several iterations it'll be debated um, but I think one thing that this piece of legislation has that a lot of legislation in the past hasn't is there is bipartisan support for this type of legislation and so I don't think it's a question of if we'll see, uh, data protection legislation, it's a question of when. And, and if I had to guess, I, th I would say in 2019, we will have some type of legislation make it to the Senate and House floor for vote. Yeah. Uh, I want to dive into sort of a little more on the bill and how it compares uh, with uh, what we've seen from other from the European Union and, and what types of things are maybe pushing this. Uh, we'll take a quick break and come back uh, right after this. You're listening to the Cyber 24 podcast presented by Valcom. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you already know that highly organized threats and targeted attacks happen all too often. But I can recommend you find a new approach to deal with the ever-changing threat landscape. Valcom recommends Aruba Networks for your network security environment. Aruba is changing the security game with enterprise wired and wireless network security solutions for granular visibility and control over who and what's connected, what they're authorized to do, and providing you with the right security response. Gain back visibility and control with an ironclad network through Valcom and Aruba. To learn more, visit vlcmtech.com slash clearpass. That's vlcmtech.com slash clearpass. 
$300 million. That's how much money the cyber breach at FedEx cost the company, all because they were not insured for cyber breach losses. So if you're a business owner of any size, you have to ask yourself, could my business survive a hit like that? I'm guessing the answer is no. The fact is, over half a million small to medium-sized businesses will close their doors as a result of a cyber event. So what should you do to protect your business? Talk to the cyber liability professionals at Hayes Companies. At Hayes Companies, policy placement is only one step in an overall risk management approach to manage your firm's cyber liability exposure. They design a program specifically for you, customized to your business priorities. For more information, contact Dave Whitwer, 801-580-5501. That's 801-580-5501. Or visit HayesCompanies.com. That's H-A-Y-S Companies.com. Secuvant is a leading network security company specializing in creative, customized solutions that meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. They offer a wide range of services, everything from managed security and virtual CISO consulting to cyber risk advisory and data breach recovery assistance. No matter what your specific security requirements are or what your comfort level is with IT in general, Secuvant will map your cybersecurity program to the business areas that are relevant to you. Everything from brand and reputation to legal liability to intellectual property to business disruption and so much more. For more information, call 1-855-SECUVANT or visit secuvant.com. That's S-E-C-U-V-A-N-T.com. Hey, welcome back into Cyber 24 presented by Valcom. Uh, we have a guest from Valcom with us today, Dan Schuyler, cybersecurity systems architect at Valcom. As we're looking into this proposed legislation uh, at the federal level from Senator Wyden, looking at regulating then controlling uh, who's in charge of their personal data and what kind of protections are in place. Um, one thing I should have gotten to before the break, um, because I don't think it's to be missed, we talked about the eye-grabbing nature of the you know, potential criminal penalties for senior executives at some at tech companies. And uh, I, the one I think we shouldn't gloss over is probably the one that maybe caught their attention even more, and that is um, fines of up to 4% of gross revenue. So think about a company like um, Apple. <laughs> think about it. I mean, we're not talking about a trillion dollars because a trillion dollars is their, their market cap, but their revenue is significant. Think about Google. How much revenue does Google or Amazon uh, Facebook, these are some significant amounts of money, but we also probably shouldn't just focus on those size of companies because every, anybody that's got personal data could be looking at 4% of, of your gross revenue, uh, the way companies operate on smaller margins. That's, that's not to be overlooked, right? The 4%, that, did that catch your attention? It's, it's significant, but it, it, it mirrors the GDPR to some extent. GDPR is 4% of global turnover, <laughs> So uh, I think they stole a line from the GDPR on yeah. that, and it, it really gives the legislation a lot of teeth. Uh, if I had to guess, I would say that the penalty, the monetary penalty will uh, remain. It may be curtailed a little bit, but I think 4% is a good target, and uh, I anticipate that that will remain. Yeah. I, I would be surprised if it ends up that high. I think it's a good anchor position yes. if you're starting with saying, hey, we're going to start here. Yes. It's not going to go above that because yep. that's an, that's the way negotiation works with an anchor. But 
Um, you know, I, I, I think that would be moderated a lot by the time we got there. Okay. Absolutely. So we've been talking a lot about the GDPR and this potential legislation. Could you give our listeners just sort of a GDPR 101? What, what approach did Europe take uh, when it came to regulating this? And, and how do you think that will impact where we eventually get, if we get anywhere in the United States? Well, the GDPR is certainly a very is very complex regulation. We could sit here all day long and, and all day tomorrow talking about <laughs> uh, the nuances of it. But in a, in a nutshell, uh, the, the GDPR really gives consumers a couple of things. One, the right to request, uh, the right to have transparency on the data that a, a company has on them. So it's a European Union citizen. And the right to be forgotten, meaning so you've got this data on me. I, I want you to forget me. I want that data to be destroyed completely. Everything from your first name to an IP address to a telephone number to an email address, any piece of data that a company has on a European sin- citizen, if they request it, has to be destroyed upon request and or they need to provide exactly the type of data they have on that, that person. And if there is a breach, they are subject to the the four percent global penalty, uh, amongst other things. So there are some similarities, but there are some nuanced differences as well. Yeah, as you talk about that, it just sort of conjures an image in my mind, and I wonder, get ten, fifteen years down the road, and the world is more greatly populated by digital natives or people who had the internet come into our lives at a fairly young age. Um, I, I just wonder what it would take for someone to actually exercise that because I, I can't imagine telling one of these tech companies, I want you to forget me completely. Um, you know, think of it as Google, like everyone's got a Gmail account telling Google to forget you completely. Well, they're going to get rid of your Gmail account. You're not going to have your email. You'll lose. I mean, you might download your contacts or whatever. So you have that kind of stuff, but you tell them to, to butt out entirely. Um, it's going to feel like removing a limb for people. So I, I just wonder, you know, who's I, actually going to exercise this option ever? Well, I, I think <laughs> I think that option's there for more for businesses that you you do business with on you know one one occasion. Yeah. Uh, and and you you don't want them to retain your data because you know you're never going to do business with them right. again. And right. so you have the option of saying, hey, thanks thanks for doing business with me. I uh, really appreciate it. But now I want you to get rid of get rid of my data. Right. Um, I think the the piece that really stands out is the ability to know, to have the transparency on what type of data a company has on you. Yeah. And I think that's really important. So you can go to any company, Google, Apple, whoever, and say, please tell me what data you have on me. And, and Apple and Google right now are already complying with that, as well as most companies that do business with um, European companies and European citizens, they're already giving both European citizens and American and U.S. citizens the ability to say, what data do you have on me? You can go to the Apple website, the Google website. You can put in your credentials, and they'll do- you'll give you a download of, of all the data they have on you. As this develops, clearly it's too nascent at this point. The, the legislation hasn't matured to the point of this discussion. But ultimately, I'd be really interested to hear what the perspective of law enforcement is on this. Um, to some extent, um, law enforcement has had to adapt uh, to tracking people digitally, but that also, as they've learned to do it, has probably proven, in my understanding, has proven to be a very useful thing for them, that you can, 
people leave a digital footprint that is far greater than a physical footprint that criminals previously would have, have left at a crime scene. Um, so to what extent do we have to balance someone's ability to say that company needs to forget me? Um, is that in some cases an easy way to destroy evidence? And does it make some things more difficult for law enforcement? This is why this has to be an ongoing discussion. And, and uh, you know, uh, generally the rule in public policy is you, you go to solve one problem. If you're not careful, you're creating seven others. So, you know, sometimes you're better off leaving things as they are. And that'll be an interesting discussion to have as we go forward. Do you, do you feel like this, um, this, I, I alluded to this, I think earlier on, but, that the public is a little more um, anxious to see something done or at least interested in, in having this discussion because of the notoriety of some of the incidents that we've gone through. I think of Equifax or the, you know, most recently we had a Facebook hack. Um, there's constant discussion about meddling in elections and, uh, you know, foreign state interference. Is that driving this or is that making it more feasible for something to get done? Absolutely. I th again, I th think consumer sentiment is driving this. The the number of breaches, uh, I th I think, for m uh, most people, including representatives and senators and even lobbyists, they're probably really wanting to develop some legislation that provides additional protections for consumers. And so, this is a this is pent up demand. We we mentioned this earlier. This is pent up demand that's been there for quite a while. And I think that's one of the catalysts for this this legislation. Yeah, uh, clearly, it's not our system to do things uh, super clean and efficient in the United States. Our lawmaking is meant to be um, deliberative and take a long time for these things to come about. Let's set that aside as as the parameters for just a moment. If you were king for a day and could make the regulation what it needs to be, um, give me some insight or give me your idea of how this law should work. And what types of things should be protected? How would you do it? I like some aspects of the GDPR, and some aspects I don't. Again, it's it's a it's a very complex uh, piece of regulation, and there are people that are today are still digesting it and trying to figure it out. Uh, my perspective as a consumer, I would want the right to have transparency into the data that a company has on me. Certainly, I, I would want the ability to tell a company that I've done business with that I'm never going to do business with again to destroy that data. Uh -huh. And there needs to be some sort of teeth in any regulation to ensure that that's enforced. I, I don't know what the right balance is. We've sort of touched on that. Should there be some monetary penalties? Sure. Should there be civil uh, jail time? That's up for debate, but definitely you want the legislation to have some teeth to it so that it's enforceable and that businesses will comply with that regulation. Yeah. We've mentioned a couple times already, and I think hammered home the point that this is um, a very early in a legislative process. So the bill that is in draft form, w it will not look terribly similar to the bill that eventually gets passed if one does get passed. Um, but at this point in the in the game, is there anything that a business should do proactively to prepare for potential changes? What What would you advise a business uh, leader right now to do with his or her company to prepare for changes that that you feel are likely to come? Well, I would look at the the summary in totality. Keep an eye on the bill. Assume, just assume that the bill will pass as it stands, and use that as your foundation and. Uh, we've mentioned this in, in prior discussions. 
this legislation is going to require you to quote unquote secure your data, secure your borders. And the best way to do that is to perform a cybersecurity risk assessment so you know where your vulnerabilities and gaps are and so you can start filling those gaps and vulnerabilities. So be proactive, realizing that, that there's no doubt that this legisla some legislation is going to pass in 2019. What that final legislation looks like is, is still, uh, still up for debate, but there's going to be legislation that's going to have protections for consumers' data, data and privacy. So be proactive. Start, start analyzing your current uh, cybersecurity infrastructure and your current security posture. Start addressing those vulnerabilities and those gaps and start remediating. This will be interesting to watch. We'll put a uh, link to the uh, PDF of the draft legislation up on our website. You can check that out at cyber24.us. Dan Schuyler, Cybersecurity Systems Architect, still a very cool title at Valcom. Thanks so Thank much for uh, being with us again today. Thanks, Marty. Appreciate it. All right, as we wrap up today's show, we want to thank our presenting partners at Valcom. You can find them online at vlcmtech.com. We also want to thank our supporting partners, the University of Utah's Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute. That's where we recorded this show and where we do it each week. Our friends at Secuvant, not to mention our great partners at the Utah Department of Technology Services, the Utah Department of Public Safety, and the Utah Attorney General's Office. A reminder, you can find us online at cyber24.us or on Twitter at cyber24 underscore or on Facebook, just search cyber24. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. I'm Marty Carpenter.